0: Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey, friends, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Relevate Podcast. My guest today is Dusty Labossiere, who has both a heartbreaking yet hopeful story. If you've ever loved someone with addiction or lost someone to suicide, Dusty's life story will no doubt inspire you and give you hope of what's possible. I cannot say this enough recovery from addiction is possible it's not easy but the cycle of addiction can be broken listen in and share this important episode and learn more from my friend Dusty Labossier Dusty Labossier welcome to the Relevate podcast glad to be here so good to see you, and you're yeah. looking just like all spiffy in your flannel and your vest. Got <laughs>
1: cold on us. I'm a dad now, so I can wear the vests. Um, I've got. A, I'm, I'm starting a dad vest collection. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I get. I get made fun of sometimes, but I kind of like it. Kinda yeah, like the vest,
0: the dad thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I am um, so glad to be here with you today, yep. and. Uh, just to kind of unpack some of your story for me you are just a, a face of hope uh you've been through a lot to be so young and i just appreciate you be you know being willing to be here and to to share your story
1: yeah without sounding um cheesy or cliche yeah. i really do enjoy opportunities mm-hmm. like this because it's it is you know like miraculous that i'm in a place where I am. And then, you know, it's just such a, a, a big contrast between, you know, pre no longer bound and post no longer bound. Um, and it's not to say like that was like the one and done that kind of, I mean, there's still a, still a ton that happened to me from a negative side after, you know, I went sure. through no longer bound, but um, glad to be here authentically.
0: Yeah, I I know you, I don't know you well, and I'd love to learn more about kind of what happened pre-addiction, pre-No Longer Bound.
1: Sure. Um, I'm a Georgia native. I grew up over in Marietta. Uh, If you're familiar with Cobb County or East Mm -hmm. Cobb, I grew up over by the Big Chicken.
0: You're not Southern at all.
1: I know, Um, (laughs) but I grew up here. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that my dad was uh, from New England, from Connecticut. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the suburbs. I went to a pretty uh, diverse high school. So I just never, um, you know, like I, I have Southern like, uh, tendencies on certain things, but I think I had a, a pretty good balance. Like, you know, my mom made me listen to achy breaky hard and a uh, bunch of other kind of country in the car growing up and stuff like that, which I didn't like. And it's taken me like eight years of living in Forsyth County for it to like finally kind of rub off on me a little bit, but yeah, grew up in East Cobb, uh, just, um, Working class family, my dad was a blue collar um, worker, put in flooring, tile, all kinds of stuff. So I grew up working hard with my father on a lot of that stuff, kind of as a gopher, doing gopher mm-hmm. work, you know, humping in tools and out and, you know, different stuff like that. Um, I've got one younger sister. Her name's Destiny, and she is a year and a half younger than I am. She's a paramedic slash firefighter over Very in uh, cool. I think she's in, uh, off Sixes Road in, in Cherokee County now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, she's now a grandmother. We just brought our, our first child into the world. Oh, so cool. His name is Van Elliott. Um, I'm married to a lovely lady named Ashley. Yes, she's I, beautiful. Yes, yeah, she is. And, um, and my dad is, uh, he's been passed away since 2013. So it's been, um, and that's been, you know, uh, a wild ride too, especially having a kid for the first time. Um, that's kind of brought a lot of that stuff back up to the surface, but, um. You know, I I grew up not too different from a lot of other kids from the surface. Um, And I know we were talking about before we got the podcast rolling is, you know, a lot of people walk around with brokenness. Sure. And, you know, I grew up in a household where my dad was really in and out of, um, you know, like extreme uh, substance abuse, like alcohol, you know, alcoholism. I was in AA uh, meetings before I even really knew what they were. Like, you know, I'd go sit down in these rooms with my dad um, as a kid And I'd see all like the, you know, the second and third hand coffee cups, like it smelled like cigarettes, people would cuss, Mm -hmm. Um, everybody would go put chairs up and back um, after the meetings. I never really understood um, what that was until I got a little bit older. You know, there were... So how old were you? (sighs) Like when I was in in meetings like that? I don't know, probably like, uh, maybe like late elementary school and up, um, fourth, fifth grade stuff. So
0: he was fighting it and trying
1: yeah there was about there's about a three or four year period where he was completely sober um and those were some of the best times because you know there wasn't a lot of um there wasn't a lot of fear on like mm-hmm. you know we had built up enough momentum i think as a family where we weren't afraid of like the knockdown drag out fights the cops showing up my dad um you know just just kind of losing it mm-hmm. um and i never got to share not that i didn't get to share that with my friends and my you know yeah my friends growing through, through high school it was just like As a kid, you don't know how. And I was just ashamed of it, really. I didn't feel like anybody else was going through that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, So I kind of grew up like that. Things were... I like to describe my childhood as, you know, some... Like, when things were good, they were really good. Mm-hmm. And when things were bad, they were really bad. Um, it seems like there were just, like, extremes on both sides of it. My dad was in and out of jail a couple of times, went to prison for about a year and a half for violating probation. Um, that was, I think, while I was in high school. So, like, there was actually a year and a half of, of us going to go see my dad in while he was in prison over in Milledgeville. And my mom mm-hmm. would try to make that the best that she could. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been a dad for you know, five or six months, but I can't imagine trying to like, um, you know, make that a positive experience. But like, yeah. I'd go see my dad, uh, we'd have like this bag full of quarters, the vending machines, and you go mm-hmm. sit down with him. And she'd try and go take us to downtown Milledgeville to like, just go walk around the square and stuff like that. Looking back on it, my mom was incredible at being able to, like, keep it together. Yeah. I know she just had to. But <clears throat> yeah, she did. She did a good job.
0: She stood by him.
1: Yeah, she did. Um, and I think my mom probably went through, you know, 10 times more than, like, any any oh, other yeah. kind of spouse would. There were multiple times that my dad tried. I don't think that they, they were, like, bona fide attempts at suicide. But I think, um, you know, there were a couple times that, like, I've got, you know, I've got a memory in my head of my dad with a tube from the exhaust going into his car while he was sitting in it. Um, that was my mom found... Found him. My dad was, you know, super drunk. And mm. we would disconnect the exhaust. And then he would go reconnect it back and just sit in there. Um, there was one time that a gun had gone oh, off in the garage. So, like, you know, and then finally, like, you know, spoiler alert. My dad finally kills himself in 2013. That was um, It was a week after I got engaged to my wife. Oh, my so, gosh. my parents divorced when I was probably, like, 15 or 16 years old. Um, that really set the stage for like my own self destruction, mm-hmm. and it was because I really felt like my entire family disintegrating, you know. And to bring, to bring a lot of like my angst and anger to the the forefront of of some of this stuff is, you know, I grew up in church, and my concept of God at that point was like, well, you pray and you ask for things mm-hmm. from God. Well, you know, the only thing that I wanted was my parents to stop fighting, my dad to stop, you know, just, just quit, you know, like, why can't you stop drinking? Mm-hmm. That was something in my head where I was like, I don't understand why you can't mm-hmm. just quit drinking when like the consequences are like losing your family. Like, right. why wouldn't you, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, you just can't, or even as a yeah. teenager, it's hard to process stuff like that. So without knowing it, I was so angry with God for being in this, you know, position, mm-hmm. and I got handed these cards that you know some of them were really hard, yeah. and I don't want to paint my life as like just a, a huge tragedy. There were a lot of really good times mm-hmm. in my childhood, but you know, some of them were really difficult, and you know, so going into no longer bound, you know, just at that point I was 22 years old, and I was so just filled with anger, resentment, and shame and guilt for you know, finally putting my own family through what my father had already put us through, I just I felt like it wasn't even you know like I felt suicidal. I, I never really actually wanted to kill myself. I just you know I would imagine it. Like man, this would be just much easier if I wasn't despair. here. Despair. Yeah, yeah, lots of despair. So.
0: So when did you start medicating?
1: I first um, experimented with drugs when I was uh, 13 years old. I remember. Uh, <laughs> And again, this isn't, you know, this isn't good either, but it's true. I, I remember experimenting um, or smoking pot for the first time with my my cousins who I, I looked up to. I mean, I, I mean, they're still like brothers to me. And that was like, I think, after a youth group meeting with church. So it's like, you know, you've got church and drugs kind of like intertwining with each other. And um, I actually really didn't enjoy smoking pot for the first time. I felt really guilty and paranoid. Um, just was like, yeah bonafide, miserable for the entire time. After that, um, I started drinking a little bit, like in high school, like 15, 16 years old. Um, I wasn't, you know, not a, wasn't a huge fan of of drinking Don't get me wrong, I've been drunk plenty of times, but I just, that wasn't ever my go-to. And looking back on it, it was like this perfect storm of like lack of self-esteem, family unit falling apart, um, no purpose, not really a lot of fatherly advice, a lot of stress at home, things like that, that like, well, you know, Once I finally found some of these mind-altering substances, um, it really kind of filled a void for me. And I almost found like this weird identity in it of being like the guy who knew a lot about drugs, which is, I mean, look, it's embarrassing to even say out loud because it's so, um, it just seems so pretentious. But you know, like I'd read, and this is like right when the internet was kind of like you know being. It's so
0: typical you (laughs) though, Dusty.
1: I I remember like vividly getting. Yeah, I remember vividly getting in these fights with my mom um, about you know once my drug abuse became known of like of us just getting in fights about it. And like, I would, you know, throw all these, like this information back to her. And like, since then we've talked and she's like, you were so frustrating because you were like educated about like the (laughs) drugs that you were doing. It may, again, in a non-arrogant way, it may have saved my life that I would actually research a lot of these drugs before I did them, you know, because I was always really, I was pretty cautious about a lot of the stuff that I did. I know, again, I know that sounds ridiculous because I was like using heroin and you know, Oxycontin and I experimented with, you know, all kinds of, I think the only thing I didn't try was meth or crack. Um, at some, those are the only things I just never, I I guess I had access to it that I wasn't, I tried pretty much everything else I could get my hands on. That started around age 17 when I first uh, tried Oxycontin for the first time. And it was just a pill. Um, I knew that it was in in the class of opiates. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, a lot of, you know, people that struggle with substance abuse will tell you, like, you know, they remember a time doing it for the, you know, the first time they did it, like wanting to feel like that, like forever. And that was the case with opiates for me. It's like I did that one time and I was like, I want to feel like that all of the time. In the, in the beginning, it really it felt like it um, enhanced a lot of the things. But underneath it, it was really like destroying my social circle, my relationships kind of in tatters oh, anyway. Yeah. Maybe so, even because I didn't have a, a good fundamental understanding of how to ask for help, yeah. how to process my own emotions, um, how to be in good relationships, how to forgive. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I got... The tools handed to me at No Longer Bound that I didn't have access, not that I didn't have access to, but I don't know. They just weren't in my tool bag. I just didn't know about them. Sure. You go to church, you sing the songs, you hear Mm -hmm. the guy talk about different parts of the Bible. You take communion. We were in like an Episcopal. We went to a bunch of different churches, but you know, for me, it just didn't seem like real felt, um, and the more resentment that built up in me, I just felt like, man, this is, um, this feels like a cheap trick. And why would I be in a, in a position like this? You know, I didn't do anything to deserve it. So, I mean, that that really kind of set the stage for substance abuse and uh, going into No Longer Bound at, at 22.
0: When did you lose your dad?
1: I was 2013, so that would mean six years ago. 25, 24, 25. Okay. I was 25 when I got married, so it had been 24.
0: So are you and your dad a lot alike, personality-wise, do you think? <laughs>
1: I I try to take the good parts of my dad and keep those. Um, We definitely are in a sense of we are very, my dad was very uh, blunt and straightforward. Um, Also, pretty authentic. I like to consider myself authentic. Life's too short to be fake. And I just, I just hate feeling that way. I would rather lose um, maybe a a shallow relationship with somebody because Mm -hmm. they don't like me than waste time on it. You know, time's something that you can always get money back. You can, you can always meet new people. You can re- repair relationships. Times, you don't get that back. Um, so, yeah, uh, I like to think we had the same sense of humor. My dad was hilarious, um, you know, just had a really good way of being able to tell jokes and very lively. But then I also think that I get a lot of my mom's um, probably heart um, from an emotional side. I'm super sensitive, and I think my dad was really sensitive too. He just never was able to break through the the tough guy mentality, which I think ultimately might have led to part of his demise. Um, but yeah, my mom is—I um, mean, even she's like, she is ultra accepting, and was somebody I always and still always f- feel like really safe to talk to her about anything. Mm. She doesn't know anything about real estate. And I mean, there's, I mean, I just had this situation like a couple weeks ago that, you know, without going into details about it, I know she didn't know anything or mm-hmm. she's not that well versed in it. <laughs> Sorry, mom, if you're listening <laughs> to this, um, she actually has her license. She's just part time. But I remember I'm like, I can't call anybody right now because everybody that I'm thinking about in a real estate, um, situation has a dog in the fight, so to speak. And Ooh. I just like, I can talk to my mom and then she'd just listen She's a great listener. So I, I like to think I'm a good balance between my mom and dad. And I like to pick out both their attributes um, and kind of, you know, capitalize on them. Dad was also ultra hardworking. Like, I'm hardworking. And uh, I think yeah. my dad probably, like, is out outworked me on a regular basis. So I learned a lot of work ethic, organization, no excuses. Like, you just do it. And, you know, kind of like a pull your bootstraps up and get it done. That served me really well in a, in a lot of arenas in my life. Um, so I'm thankful for that.
0: Well, and I'm just so glad you have your mom and that your mom has her son back because, you know, it's just heartbreaking to to see the families yeah. that love people who love someone with an addiction. It's yeah. it's just, I can't imagine how hard that must be. So yeah. I know, and for her to, to love a man who was... Consumed by alcohol, and then to watch her son kind of slip down that same slope. Yeah, God love her for.
1: Yeah, and she's just hanging in there, and and she, you know, she grew up in a she grew up in a household. You know, it was my my grandmother her, her mom and my grandfather divorced um, before. I think she graduated high school. I mean, I think she was growing up, and that's because her grandfather was basically you know having a lot of affairs on my on geez. my grandmother. So she grew up in a pretty. Hmm. Tumultuous household. My mom is, yeah, she's had a, she's had it tough. I mean, she's had a tough life. I think that's kind of like forged her into somebody that values the important things in life. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, she's a, she's a great woman. She's, uh, mm-hmm. made she's her,
0: made her stronger.
1: Yeah, she's easy to be around.
0: Very cool. What do you believe was the key to your recovery?
1: <laughs> uh. That's a good question. It's going to be hard to like narrow it down, but I think it's a good mixture of being completely honest with yourself and other people and being willing to make the hard decisions um, along the way. It's it's just a lifestyle. Um, I actually, view, you know, it's a weird thing, it's a weird thing to talk about, but I actually look at those five years of like heavy substance abuse that got me into no longer bound is like one of the, the largest assets that I have because it, it brought me to a place physically and emotionally and spiritually that I felt reborn in a sense. Um, I don't know if I would have ever had any of the stuff that I do if I didn't go through all that stuff. And so it grew me up really quick and, it's a long process, you know. In 2019, people are looking for quick fixes. <laughs> yeah. Any, I've just, I've just found out anything worthwhile is almost always like a lifelong pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not it's like health or, you know, relationships or business. You know, everybody wants it done tomorrow, right. and it just takes. It's just persistence, you know? Yeah. I'm and a then super like, stubborn person.
0: You know, you, you achieve something, and then you, you change your focus and go after something
1: else, which... Yeah. By the way, I'm glad we're meeting in here and not the place that I originally <laughs> was trying to bring you into. Was I, it? Don't, I don't think that would have went well.
0: A little too noisy. There's a lot happening here at the yeah, Thrive it's Coworking nice. Center. It's yeah. Pretty cool.
1: It's a pretty good business plan.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah it is.
1: Not a bad idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the, yeah, hmm. so I, I think um, I was... I'm more driven than your average bear, I think. And again, I I don't mean that arrogantly. I just know that it's easy for me to to will myself through things. And I just do it like I don't mind the suffering. And I don't mind like the pain in certain aspects. Um, so, you know, when I first got into No Longer Bound, I was like, and at that point I'd probably picked up like maybe 15 or 20 white chips, you know, at AA meetings and stuff like that. I tried to do the same thing that my dad did. And I have nothing against AA um, or the side. There's a ton of Sure. spiritual principles in the 12 steps just no longer bound had a different um i'm i'm thankful that i was able to go there and i wasn't born in like washington or cal you know nevada yeah. or something like that just didn't have access to it but um, i just told myself when i got there i'm like <clears throat> no matter what i will stay here 60 days until i can see my family is back in the day mm-hmm. <laughs> you couldn't see your family for two months yeah. when you checked in the program like you were, you didn't, you checked mm-hmm. out. I mean, so.
0: Which I think was a brilliant strategy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, don't,
1: I don't know those, what the policies are now. Yeah.
0: I don't, I, well, I know it's changing a lot, but you know, that was the marker you set for yourself. If you would have set a 10 month marker, you know, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta be here 10 months, yeah. but um, to, to will yourself t- to do 60 days, it's like, okay, I can do that.
1: After sixty days, it was um, I had I think I built enough relationships inside the house with these mm-hmm. men that were you know from all different walks of life, but similar situations of like you know despair, destruction, and there's a lot, so much camaraderie to fuel you through this whole sure. thing. So much accountability, and I I just um, I just wound up staying through it, and I graduated. Then I stayed as an uh, as an SLT. I know they're called interns now, um, and then I. I had the chance to work there for almost four years afterwards. So um, all in all, I stayed there for almost about six years um, from 2011 to 2016, um, about halfway through it. So maybe about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I went and pursued a career in real estate.
0: Yeah. So, so back to the one key to your recovery, <laughs> <laughs> I think you said being honest, is that right? Do you think that's really the... Yeah,
1: you have to be honest with yourself. Um, And there's... I think people can be so convoluted that they are not even aware of how full of it that they are. Mm -hmm. Like, they get so far off track from what's authentically true. You know, they're pointing the finger at everybody else. Yes. They're passing off ownership. They are blaming and, um, you know... Yeah, I, I view honest these days. as like, when I go to say I'm angry or, or, or I'm, you know, mad, it's like, it, it's because I'm either afraid or I, I got hurt. My feelings got hurt. I consider that honest. Right. And I try to use that in my language when I'm speaking to other yeah. people, even with other grown men, like, Oh, I got my feelings hurt, you know? And it's still a good humility check for me to be like, I am sensitive. I do get bruised easily from an ego standpoint. Uh, but I, the biggest difference between me now and me then is that when my ego got bruised then is that it like fundamentally like bruised my identity. And these days I just know that my identity is separate from what I do or what I don't do. Yeah. And that it's, it's, you know, I have eternal life through Christ on this side, which it's such a, that's such a hard thing to describe, you know, right? the big difference, but mm-hmm. it, it just is like, like, if my whole career was to burn down tomorrow and I lost everything and, you know, a bunch of bad things happen, I think I could still have peace in knowing that, you know, that's separate from other things. I'm not saying I'd be in a good mood. Yes. I'm saying that I just don't think I would. I'm not afraid of going out and just burning my life down with drugs and alcohol anymore. I'm just really not. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have fear of that anymore. Um, it's taken a long time to get there. Yeah it's worth it yeah, it's been worth worth going through it so
0: well what a blessing so was it a spiritual healing for you you think that occurred
1: yeah yeah i definitely i think a lot of people um you know again i'm gonna sound like a, and i did teach it no longer bound for a, you know a few years but we like to view a human as like a, your physical body with a soul and that soul mm-hmm. breaks down into your mind will and emotions and then inside of that is your spirit and they're separate. So you're like a three-part entity walking around on earth, you know, body, soul, spirit. And you know, if if the belief that beliefs dictate everything that we do in life is true, I think those are inside of our, you know, our spirit so to speak. So if I believe that I am you know, shameful, or I believe that, you know, I'm not good enough, I never will be or I don't deserve certain things, Then it's going to show up in my day to day life, go in. And again, no longer bounds a long process of, you know, I would say, like, kind of peeling back the onion, onion, so to speak. Sure. Once you finally get to a certain stage in that program, um, they'd call it, um, I think Revelation now it's called inner healing. When I was there, it's kind of like the meat and potatoes of the program. Not to say that the other stuff isn't mm-hmm. important, but you know, when you're dealing with like kind of the, the heavier stuff. And it was this build up to that one class, but, um, yeah, I would definitely say there was a lot of, there's something spiritually healing about burying your entire soul. Um, no matter how shameful it is to other human beings. And and obviously the risk is getting judged or ridiculed or, you know, being known for being the dude that did those things or didn't do. Um, And working through forgiveness, being able to grieve, uh, break judgments, ties with, Mm -hmm. you know, people, um, reconciliation between me and my family members. You know, that was all stuff that I got led by other men who had gone through the same process Mm -hmm. um, when I got there. So I cannot... I mean, like, to put that in from, like, a dollar perspective, like, I paid $10 for this Chick-fil-A meal before I got here. Like, I wonder what the price tag on something like that is. And it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to calculate because it's literally afforded me almost everything else that I have. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So amazing. And I I love the fact that you guys come out so transparent and so willing to reveal Hey you hurt my feelings, Yeah, but people that haven't experienced, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of guys look at you yeah, like, it's weird. dude, what? So
1: pro tip to those, those guys coming out of, um, you know, no longer bound <laughs> or interns is that there's a balance. Um, mm-hmm. I think coming out as sensitive and I think no longer bounds gotten better at this, um, especially the transition period that they've installed in there the world outside of no longer bound is not going to care nearly as much as, and that, and I don't want to paint the picture of the world being like this dark place where nobody cares. Mm-hmm. That's false. A lot of people yes. care outside, but you just have to realize like everybody's running their own lives outside. We've got their job, their kids, their health, the things to do, the emergencies. And like, you know, people just don't care as much to, to talk about your feelings. Um, you know, at no longer bound, it's like at the drop of a hat. If you need to go talk to somebody about, anything that's going wrong with your emotions <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you can have it it's like a 24 7 counseling session and in a lot of ways it's like really been a you know it's a luxury in a sense mm-hmm. so my big advice to anybody coming out of there is like learn to wear different types of armor in different settings outside of no longer bound like yeah. if you're going into a business meeting like if you're going in for a job interview you probably want to be a little bit more guarded than if you're going to church Or if you're going to go hang out with your buddies or something like that. It's just, there's a time and place for it. Um, And I still think that transparency and authenticity can win in a lot of scenarios where we still don't give it a lot of credit, but it can also have the reverse effect to people that are just adverse to having, you know, if you have somebody that is like just emotionally shallow, um, especially in a, you know, I've had plenty of situations in my business where it's like, okay. That's not a person to share these things with, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to interviews, listing appointments with sellers, and saying like, I used to be a heroin addict. Let me list your house. Um, <laughs> but I really <laughs> think that's if they insane. knew, if I really think if they knew the full story, like if you watched a exactly. three hour like Forrest Gump type movie about Dusty LaBosse here, I think I would probably have a little bit more credit sure. about what I've been through and that I'm sitting at the table with you on time knowing what I'm talking about um, in a suit, in a nice truck, with a wedding you know, wedding ring on my finger, that you'd be able to kind of look past, mm-hmm. well, this guy did these things at this point. But he really yes. turned it around. Yes. So, and it's a three-part. It's not just me, it's other people, and God's involved in it too. So, I mean, I can't take all the credit for it, but yeah, I did, uh, I fought for it hard.
0: Sure you did. Sure you did. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Yeah, and I... I love being around people in recovery because, you know, they're just, they're a work in progress. And I think people who haven't been through addiction, you know, they just kind of stop developing or stop trying to be better or, you know, it's like, this is me. This is what you get. No, (laughs) you know, we are all works in process and Mm -hmm. we all need to be working at getting better and looking at those darks. You know those dark holes in our heart where we need to improve, where we can get better. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think the people that have been through serious crap—they're just. Um, I mean, I just respect you so much for what you've been through, and how you're willing to put yourself out there as, "Hey, you know, I'm—I represent hope. <laughs>
1: you yeah. know,
0: people yeah. can get better, sons do get better. I did get the gorgeous girl yeah you know i have a son i have a great career you know for you to just be able to and you're mentoring others which i think is super cool
1: yeah i'll be at uh i'll be at no longer bound at family recovery this uh this sunday talking about forgiveness if you want to come check it out so i doubt this podcast speed, be i don't know What's your turnaround time on yeah, these? Well, things. That's gonna
0: that's pushing me a little yeah, bit, Dusty. That's right, that's
1: pushing you. <laughs> um
0: that is awesome. So let's talk about kind of the transition to real estate sure. and what attracted you to that and um kind of that whole journey because it's <laughs> super cool.
1: I got to give credit to my mother-in-law, uh, Jennifer Hodge, wonderful lady. Yes. Um she kind of I mean, she really nudged me to go and get my real estate license, you know, I It's no secret that if you're working nonprofit, you're probably not getting paid what you're worth. Um, And, you know, this is in no negative aspect, um, a reflection of no longer bound. I still love the I love the daylights out of no longer bound. I just um, looking to grow a family and, you know, potentially have my mom or not my mom, my wife be a stay at home mom. um, And she was by far the breadwinner at that point in our marriage. You know, I just wanted to kind of be able to provide more financially. So I made the decision to jump into real estate. Um, At at first I tried to do it part-time until I realized that you can't be a good part-time anything, especially a real estate agent. So I kind of just jumped into it. I got my license back in 2000 and I think it was 14. Yeah, 14. Um, So I've had my license for about a little bit over five years now. And... It took me a while to come into any, you know, sort of like moderate success. The reason that I liked real estate is because I get control over what I do. So that means front to back. I'm self-employed. That means front to back. um, I get to structure my day the way that I want to. I get to choose the activities that wind up producing results. I don't have to take direction from anybody else if I don't want to. Um, And for me, that's important. Um, And I I don't mean that like nobody's my boss. I mean, my clients are my, I am a servant to my clients. And unless you are absolutely crazy, I'm going to work with you. And I'm going to do the best job that I can. So I just like the feeling of, like, I really relish in the feeling of, like, I've done this. I built it with my own hands. I'm responsible for what's happening, good or bad. And I can take 100% ownership. Outside of that, I just really like people. Financially, it's really lucrative and rewarding. Um, And so this has really just been like a good mixture of like, it makes sense on a lot of different cylinders. Um, And so, you know, now I'm trying to grow a little bit of a team, I was able to be top agent 2018 from a from a from a from a standing start in 2000. So I started at Century 21. I just wasn't, I didn't, even know that I was in a sales gig <laughs> <laughs> when somebody told me I was in sales I was like oh it's weird uh I didn't even think about real estate that way I'm like "Oh, just you're, you know like you're just a I don't I don't know what I, I was thinking I was so naive getting into it and so um I went over to Mark Spain in 2017 did okay I think I sold like maybe 35 plus homes which is pretty good yeah but the thing about Mark's explained is that, you know, they're handing you all the appointments and leads and stuff like that, which is a substantial, if not the majority of like a successful real estate careers, having the phone ring and having people contact you mm-hmm. and knowing how to get that uh, to happen. So, you know, I made a certain amount of money and the, the splits were so over there that I did the math. And I'm like, well, if I went to any other brokerage with a different split, I'm like, I could do 25% of the business and make about the same amount of money. So I tried to negotiate my split at Mark Spain. I couldn't get anywhere where I wanted to. I stayed true to myself and I went uh, back to Century 21 where from 2018, that year I wrote on my whiteboard in my office at my house I said, I want to be the top producing agent at Century 21, which I, f- I felt like an idiot writing that on the board because I just, I'm like, that's way out of reach. I can't do it but I just bust my ass all year long. Um, I did all the stuff that I knew I, I was supposed to, but wasn't like, didn't, you know, I didn't want to do videos on Facebook. I didn't want to, you know, it's uncomfortable. Um, and, and since then I've done it enough where it's not uncomfortable. It's actually enjoyable, but it, you know, I've got such a massive sphere of influence between no longer bound, being a native Georgian around here. Um, even my gym uh, that I go to, you know, at CrossFit, like I've been there for, long enough where people just approach me and they're like, I watch your videos. I see, you know, some, my business is really, really based on my sphere of influence. Um, that's the foundation of it. And we're looking Mm -hmm. to create and generate business in different streams outside of that. But that's really been the bedrock of any kind of success I've had. And, you know, from a, I mean, from a 30,000 foot view, I'm still a newer agent. Um, you know, I've only been in the business you know, for about five years and about maybe three and a half of those have been full time. So, you know, I'm constantly, I'm borderline obsessed with trying to figure out how to do it better, bring my people more value, um, processes. And I pride myself on just being really good with communication and being really upfront and honest with people about the decisions that they're going to make. Uh, ultimately, I don't make the decisions that my buyers and sellers make, uh, but I really try and give a clear picture of what their options are so that they can make informed decisions.
0: Well, it's, it's so cool because I know my husband and I, our, our home truly is our castle. Yeah. And, in, D, in you know, since a lot of your customers are in, your clients are in recovery, to help them realize the, you know, the dream of home ownership. Yeah. I mean, that is... That is really a cool thing to be part to be part of that journey with them, yeah, absolutely. I would think that's very fulfilling.
1: I've worked with so many people from No Longer Bound too that's just been like, man, like five years ago, dude, you were, you know in just in, at the bottom of a bottle, like your life was wreck. And you know, to kind of go through the journey, um, you know, I won't name names on here, but if you you know, if I've helped you out and you're you've come through no longer bound, like they've seen me grow up and I've seen them grow up. And just being able to watch people have families get homes get you know careers and stuff like that it's it's been such a cool process um so uh you know i (laughs) i grew up wanting to be a writer that's what i think the first thing i wanted to be when i was a kid and then i wanted to be an architectural engineer because of roller coaster tycoon that video game that came out i really wanted to build roller (laughs) coasters (laughs) till I realized how bad I was at math. And then that was scratched out. And then I went through a bunch of others. I wanted to join the Navy and be a Navy SEAL at some point. And so like, I'm looking back on all this stuff. I'm like, all right, well the Navy SEAL stuff kind of like, uh, found itself in the CrossFit gym that I go Mm -hmm. to. And like my, you know, relentless pursuit of (laughs) being in good shape and, uh, you know, being a writer, I still write a good bit. Um, and I, I try and share stuff pretty off, you know, transparent Mm -hmm. on, on social media platforms, because people need to hear stories like mine.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, Yep. I actually grabbed one off of your Facebook yeah. page. <laughs> I'm going to let you read it because sure. I, I think it's just really cool.
1: I think a lot of pursuing a more fulfilling life is willing to change one's beliefs. The people who believe they can, no matter what, will always have more available to them than the, pe- the, than the people who believe they are limited, a victim, or can't. It's as simple as that. The people who believe they can preside over the people who believe they cannot. Another day down. What are you going to do with the next one? Yeah. So I, you watch? Uh, do you listen to any like Gary V type stuff on? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's got a big. Uh, he's a big. He's got a big social media presence. But um, I just posted something the other day where it's like him standing next to this like uh, canvas that he's selling, but it says "You're gonna die" on it.
0: Oh yeah, I did yeah. see that.
1: <laughs> So I'm, I'm just also a huge fan of like really considering death. We're all going to die. Yep. And I, people don't like, you know, I've, I've had a couple of people like that's dark and like, you know, our way to be dark, dusty and stuff like that. And it is dark, but I just, you know, it's also true. And so if you're not really taking into consider in consideration, like how much time you have left, I'm like, I'm 30. I'll be 31 in December. If I'm lucky, I'll live two times as long as I've lived right now. And so that just, it kind of like lights a fire under me to go do the things that I really want to do and say no to the things that I really don't want to do, which might be even more important than saying yes. So I've I've gotten good at saying no to things.
0: Yeah. And I, I love the message behind this because I really think so much is mindset.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: So much as mindset and to live a countercultural life, you know, especially social media, the news media, you know, they're just blasting you one thing, but um, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, "Mm, you know, that's not really what I believe.
1: Social media is a funny thing because now that I'm in in sales and in real estate, I have to utilize it so much to remain visible and top of mind with people. Um, and so it is a tool, but you know the truth is that we all want social media. If we didn't, it wouldn't be to the it wouldn't be available to the extent that it is. We exactly. wouldn't be spending millions of dollars and hours. Um, you know, we wouldn't be bleeding, sweating, and crying over this this thing that you know it gets a bad rap and. I think really just what social media is, is a reflection of who we are as a culture. There's a lot of really good stuff and there's a lot of really bad stuff in there too. And so if you're feeding yourself the right kind of stuff through social media, I think it can actually enrich your life. But if you're, uh, you know, if you're feeding yourself a bunch of junk, it's like, you know, it's like living off of a, uh, you know, a quick trip <laughs> diet. I mean, how healthy can you be if you only eat at quick trip?
0: Ketos. <laughs> and I
1: love quick trip, um, it's my favorite <laughs> gas station. Uh, but, You know, I'm just trying to say is, you know, what we decide to put into our body and our mind is important. And again, I, I sound polished, but this has been, you know, like eight or nine years in the making of like really trying to get progress. And I think the feeling of progression is also really important too. knowing that it's not a straight line up, but you know, kind of like the stock market is it, it is going up, but it's kind of like this zigzag all the way up. So you have to be okay with losses and stuff like that, or, you know, a step back. I just recently had one. Um, but knowing how to handle those is paramount too. Well,
0: and I love at your, so are, do you have a brokerage or what is?
1: So I'm just a sales agent in the state of Georgia. There's two licenses that you can basically have. It's either you're a sales agent or you're a broker. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a broker, not yet. Um, right now in my business, it doesn't make sense for me to be a broker. I've got my own team. Uh, it's the Labosh Group Real Estate. And it's underneath um, Century 21 Results. And um, Really, we're just, um, it's really a three-man team. I've got an assistant. I've got a buyer's agent named Crawford Trimmer. um, And then I've got myself um, handling most of the listing stuff. And so we're just grassroots right now. um, And I'm looking to really, I mean, kind of what you're doing right now, I'm looking to get really serious about putting out a lot of content um, on social media, video, and more uh, moving forward.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, and you're bringing in some NLB bros as well too, a lot, to kind of yeah. mentor and yep, yep. A, help them a, learn the biz.
1: Clients and um, all sorts of uh, other No Longer Bound affiliated uh, people that yeah. have been in and around my business for sure. That's very cool. Yep.
0: So you mentioned your mother-in-law, Jennifer Hodge. Yes. And um, I know the story about her yep. son, yes. your brother-in-law. Yeah. Can we just talk a little bit about that because yeah, absolutely. I know it's a very difficult subject to talk about, but if you can just share what happened with Robbie. So,
1: so since my wife and I got married in 2014, we have been hit, we got hit really hard with some big stuff, like in the first two, three years of our marriage. Um, first, my dad killed himself a week after I got engaged um and that was really really stole a lot from both of us in what was supposed to be like a really happy time sure. an engagement yeah. so like the first thing that we're doing as an engaged couple is booking a flight to connecticut to go put my dad in a ground somewhere and that really i mean that really cast a huge shadow over over the whole wedding really i mean like looking back on it you know God, another thing that does so much damage is just like the the idea of what a wedding is supposed to be and oftentimes what it really is. And there's so much pressure on these events that, you know, like (laughs) it's supposed to be the best day of your life. And Mm -hmm. like you've got all this money and people and things. And like you hear this story all over and over again where it's like, we just really didn't. We weren't present. We didn't enjoy it that much, and we wish we would have done it another way. And so I, I have this love hate relationship with weddings. I cry easily, so yeah. Uh, you know, like I like to, I like to see people you know get married and wish them on the new chapter of their lives because you know marriage is awesome when it's awesome, right? Uh, anyway, fast forward. Um, this was I think it'll be three years ago, and uh, this. Thanksgiving time. Um, my brother-in-law Robbie, um, and my wife's side of the family, they had three kids. Um, Ashley, my wife, is the eldest. Robbie was the middle child, and then Lauren is um, bringing up the rear. She is, I think, 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Mike and Jennifer. Mike was the father. Jennifer's the uh, um, and Jennifer's the mother, obviously. But we were we were lying in bed. My wife gets a phone call, and she immediately starts screaming. Just uh, the worst kind of screaming, the kind of screaming that you'd never forget about. Um, so she tells me that Jennifer basically called us and said that Robbie's died or overdosed. I I don't know what the actual words were, but we get into the car and we drive. I mean, as fast as I possibly can, I was probably doing like 90 plus the Mm -hmm. whole way from North Alpharetta over to Swanee where Jennifer's house is. And we get there, um, and he's lying on the bathroom floor, overdosed. Um, paramedics show up, bring him to the hospital, and that started really like the next chapter of this entire event, which was him being in the hospital and life support for about a week or so. There was like this insidious false hope to begin with where like we all really latched onto it. And again, you know, to bring back the thing of like, a lot of people, and my—I know my wife still, still struggles with this, and I—I I don't, I don't blame her, and I don't try to fix this, um, mm-hmm. but she's you know really upset with God and the idea of prayer over you know we had hundreds, maybe thousands of people praying you know mm-hmm. to pull Robbie out of this. What good could possibly come out of you know him overdosing at 23 years old? Mm-hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> over. You know, a week constantly at the hospital, sleeping on the floor. And people in and one, out.
0: It was one fake pill. Correct?
1: I think, it, yeah, I think it was a fake pill for for the longest time. We thought it was, um, I think, heroin or some kind of opiate. But I think the toxicology report showed that it was. Um, and she, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not 100 percent sure. So I don't want to put out yeah. something that's false right there. But I believe it was a um, a fake pressed pill that was sold to him. Yeah. You know, slowly but surely, you know. Worst news after worse news after worse news, like his activity, he's not responding. And basically they declared him brain dead at some point and um, they had to, you know. Yeah. If you've ever had to make the decision to pull somebody off, it is, it's the worst thing. I mean, I, even the way that I lost my father, which was like, he checked himself into a hotel room and slapped a bunch of, painkiller patches on him and basically went to sleep i never got to see his body before he was um, cremated with robbie it's like he's there he's on the table and you know it's just a it's it's a horrible thing it's and it's still kind of fresh you know it's three years um it's
0: well, and he's, I've seen video footage of him and the machine was breathing for him. It's he's-
1: awful. Yeah, the whole thing is, it's absolutely awful. Um, the damage and destruction left behind on that one is still very real to this day. I mean, between yeah. the family, um, and even with my wife, you know, it's been, I think we finally get each other a little bit on having lost something so big. It's different because it's a sibling and it's parent, and it's pretty natural to lose your parents before, um, you know, you lose a sibling. You know, and that might be, like, some kind of silver lining. I was still t- 24 when I lost my father, but, I mean, like, that, I mean, just my brother-in-law, Robbie, passing away, I put it, I mean, there's a ton of stress between me and my wife. Um, just trying that. to be married um, mm-hmm. and, you know, getting in arguments and, you know, fights and stuff. And I think, you know, we'd get into arguments about, like, these surface um, issues a lot of the time, but underneath it was just, like, I don't know what to do with myself, so. And through that, too, I also learned that, not just learned, like, I knew it intellectually that people grieve differently, but, like, actually experience it. And, like, you know, my idea of what grieving was is, like, firmly shaped by No Longer Bound, and, like, there's a process, and you do it this way, and... Mm -hmm and I, you know, if you've ever tried to counsel your spouse before, <laughs> um, You're I just realized, you know, I just realized like, you know, maybe every now and then it, it would work, but I came just straight out of this. Uh, you know, I'm a counselor. I mean, that's what I did over at Army Brown. So it made sense for me to try and like pull my wife through some of this stuff too. And it's like, you know, the biggest ironic situation is like, it just doesn't work that way. I mm-hmm. could be anybody else. Like if I was, just a random dude on the side of the street and like saying the same things to my wife. It might, you know, she might receive it, but something about being uh, you know, a spouse yeah. where it's that reception level kind of goes down. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, you know, my, my um, mother-in-law started um, realty for rehab, which is basically just a play on real estate. It's, you know, her taking and it's um, there's a lot of different changes happening with that organization right now or, you know, it's a it's a certified nonprofit. It's a two hundred 20 something five
0: hundred one five hundred one so
1: five hundred one c three. Thank you, um, nonprofit. Basically, the the idea is that you know she's going to give a portion, uh, or an agent yeah. that is with Realty mm-hmm. Rehab is going to give a portion of their com, um their commission and donate it to a nonprofit associated with addiction to the client's choice. Like they get to choose where it mm-hmm. goes to. So. Very um, cool. Yeah, so, she, I mean, she's very passionate about that, and um, seems like it's taking shape, and, I mean, she's she's got a lot of attention on it, too, so, um, yeah, we'll kind of see what happens with it.
0: Yeah. I, I saw her this week at the, the drug summit. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's... Um, I'm so thankful she's able to use some of her grief and her energy in helping other people. Yeah. And I would think having a grandson is part of the healing.
1: There's been so many things that I could have sworn I was right about. (laughs) And I wasn't. And like the things that I feel like I'm sure about that I'm right now. I'm like, I'm not entirely convinced that 30 years from now, I'm going to be looking back at my 30 year old self and be like, i was wrong about those things too so as stubborn and closed-minded as i can be about certain things you talk to anybody i mean like i can sound polished and things like that on any when i'm talking to anybody i could be very stubborn and i could be very um you know and it served me well in a lot of different areas like i'm going to do what i want to do and i'm going to do it this way and i believe i'm very um a man of principle so if like my heart's in it i will do it if it's not then i'm not going to do it um because I just don't, um, just don't have the time and don't want to do it. Don't want to, don't want to produce energy towards something I don't believe in. So, uh, sure. yeah, I mean, it's kind of, kind of the deal.
0: So, tell me about little, little Van and how he's changed your yeah, life. Yeah,
1: Van. Um, I think he looks like me, but has my wife's uh, fair skin a little bit. So, uh, blue eye. He's got blue eyes. I don't. I've got brown eyes and black hair. So he's like a good mixture of. Me and my wife. I, I like to think that I'm like pretty <laughs> uh, balanced on how cute I think my kid is, but I think he's, I think he's pre- I think he's like, he's got to be at least like in the yeah. ninety percentile and above. I think. So I mean, you see a lot of totally ba- you incredible. see a lot of other babies, and you're like, I think my kid's like, you know, that's me. That's funny. That's me too. I'm like so competitive that I'm like, my baby is literally cuter than other babies. Um, Van has been outside of marrying my wife the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I think my wife would say the same thing. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I put my I put a substantial amount of money on it. Um, it's such a crazy process to be in an operating room. Like my my wife really wanted to have a natural birth, but um, you know, long story short, she was in labor for or they tried to induce her for such such a large amount of time that they had to do a C section. I mean, like, literally, we had every option taken away from us. So. No one tells you how quick that baby comes out when a C-section happens, but, like, it's such a crazy thing to be handed a human being that my wife literally fostered inside of her and take it home with you a couple days later. It immediately changes everything. Anybody that's pregnant or that's about to have kids, I mean, all the cliches that they tell you, I got told that it goes by quick more than any other thing Mm -hmm. uh, imaginable but outside of that I mean it's such a cool club to be a part of Um, and then to have social media um, involved with it too it's like you get so many people that are excited that are parents to tell you the advice and like (laughs) tell you what's going to happen and like get excited for you like I'm excited for my friends to start having kids too because we're like the first one out of our friends group to really start having Mm -hmm. at least out of like my high school buds and stuff like that too we got married before everybody else did too but He's ultra happy. He's just a super happy kid, like all the time. Um, if you look at him for long enough, he smiles, and not just like a, but like a, like a really excited smile. Um, so hey, he's starting to get a little bit fussier now, but um, it's typically because he's he's hungry, or you know he needs a diaper change, or he's tired. I mean, it's real, sometimes he might just cry because he. We have no idea why. Outside of that, it's it's been great. It's cool to see him with my mom and my mother, uh, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law. There's still, you know, still a ton of pain there with uh, knowing that I won't be able to hand my son to my dad, but yeah. it's, um, <sighs> yeah, I just can't change any of it, you know, so.
0: But it's circle of life. The same blood that's flowing through your veins is in Van's veins, and it, it's, um, I don't know. I don't, people that don't have faith, I I just, and having a kid, boy, if you don't believe in God, I mean, that is just. Yeah, it is. How can it be possible? Yeah, it's such
1: a crazy process where you're like, man, this is, especially just from an ultrasound on, you're like, holy smokes, this is such a.
0: It's just so mind boggling.
1: We watched this one special, and I would not recommend this if you're, you're, if, you're pregnant or your partner is pregnant. Um, but we watched this one special on is like on Netflix is an ABC special, like the nine months that made you. And we thought it would be really cool to watch because you know, we're like, Oh, we're pregnant and this is going to sure. be interesting. We'll find out And it to speak about how intricate it was. It definitely underlined that. But every episode was like, what happens when pregnancy goes wrong? Uh, like, uh, you know, from like autism to like different other defe- mm-hmm. defects and things like that with a, with a baby being born and, <laughs> We watched like two or three of them. We were like just totally freaked out. So there's a lot of fear inside of the whole pregnancy process too, between is my wife going to be okay? Is the baby going to be okay? Um, I'll say this and, you know, we're blessed because we had a healthy mom and healthy baby afterwards. And that's not always the case. Um, But having a baby and having a child has not been as difficult as I thought it would be. We're very fortunate to have my, my wife stay at home full time right now which is, and I know this is cliche too, it's actually more difficult than what I do. Um, trying to get anything done with a baby around oh, is yeah. like, so like I'm out and I'm over at my office and I'm doing, I like what I do. So it's like, you know, I'm able to kind of get away from the house. I do a lot of stuff at home too so I can hang out with them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an adventure for sure. I know we know we want to have at least one more. She wants to have three. If we have a girl on the second one, I'm probably call it quits. <laughs> I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember when I first found out I was pregnant and I went out for a walk and I started worrying about my my baby. Yeah. And she's 26 years old and I'm still just, you know, trying to keep that worry in check because they are just the most precious things can ever imagine
1: the amount of discipline you have to have as a pregnant mom is nuts i mean like obviously it's easier it's easy for us but it's easy for you know like me in recovery i have like to abstain from like drinking and things like that too but all the things that you have to like avoid that you would normally do um it's just crazy. you have to change your lifestyle immediately like uh when you know when you're pregnant so and i think it's I mean, and I think most of the time people do just change it right away for the sake of you know this new life that has been uh, created. Yeah. So so cool. Well, he yeah. is
0: super super cute. Thank you. Okay, one last question yeah. for you, Dusty Labossiere. The word "relevate" means to uplift or inspire. Yes. So, in closing, what words do you have for my listeners about kind Inspir- of your life journey?
1: Inspiration. Yeah, I really, I really believe that like if you want something in life that there's nothing preventing you from getting it outside of your own self. And if you can really like learn and train yourself to like break free from those like limiting beliefs that you can have the kind of life that you want. Um, you know, if I handed you a blank canvas or a notebook and I said like, tell me what kind of life that you'd want to have. I really don't think that there's anything – I mean, look, no one said it was going to be easy. Mm -hmm. But I really don't think that there's anything preventing you from doing it. So I I just – I believe that now. There are certain things like, you know, if you want to be a multimillionaire, you can do that. Um, It requires a lot of sacrifice, right, unless you just inherited it. Um, If you wanted to be an elite-level sports athlete, um, if you wanted to be a New York best-selling author – You can do those things. You really can. And I think me burning it down to the ground as hard as I did between 17 and 22 really afforded me an early jumpstart in life to be really aware of what's happening inside of myself, my soul, and really aware of time and how short it is. Like we're here for such a short amount of time. There should be urgency In your in your everyday, about what are you doing with it? There's so many stories about people that just waste their life doing stuff that they don't want to do. If you're happy with where you're at, there and there is no one size fits all on like happiness or success. I've got friends who, again, not to name names, they're they're working menial jobs, but they're happy with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, like that they're. They don't have a lot of, they might not have a family. They don't have a lot of debt. Um, you know, they're, they can go travel. They can do all those things. So first you have to define what success is and then you have to go get after it, like right away. And being able to dissociate your path from the mainstream if it's off the beaten path and being okay with that. Because you will have people that, you know, the haters people like to mm-hmm. talk about, the haters out there. You're going to have those people that rain on your parade, or so to speak, you just have to be secure and confident enough to just kind of do what you want to do, even when it's unpopular, and, um, you know, stay consistent on things like that. So
0: uh, that is the word. I didn't realize you're just 30 years old. I'm 30, right?
1: <laughs> I'll be 31 yeah. in December.
0: You are a wise, a wise. Thank soul, you. Dusty Labassiere. I appreciate it. I'm so thankful to have had this time with you and um, just am in awe of your wisdom and maturity and just the, the lesson of, of your life, really, that we can all take something from. So,
1: I thank appreciate you it. For, Thanks for having me. I appreciate thank it.
0: Thank you for being here. Hug on that baby for me. Will do. So I know this was a difficult story for some of you to hear. I also know there are people out there who are struggling and need to hear Dusty's story because addiction and family heartbreak do not have to have the last words. Please share this episode freely to those who may need to hear his raw and honest account of what it took to reclaim his life. If you are struggling with addiction or know or love someone who is, your local church is a good place to start for resources and help. For those struggling with suicide, Pastor Louis Giglio of Passion City Church here in Atlanta recently shared a stunning message on the topic that I will post in the episode notes. I strongly encourage everyone to watch it. Also know, help or someone to talk to is always available by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Thank you for joining me for the Relevate podcast, a safe place to have these difficult yet hopeful conversations. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.